morning, everybody. Welcome um, uh, once again to our gathering. Um, uh, so if you haven't met me, uh, my name's Peter. Um, I'm uh, one of the team here. And um, my job this morning is to bring you um, the next in our series of um, that we've been looking at, which is uh, some of the uh, questions that particularly that Jesus raises, asks, uh, through the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing that for a while and um, you might have thought that yeah, the stuff that was about the cross and the resurrection was the last question, but it's, uh, it's, uh, we're still, we're, there's still more good stuff really, so we're carrying on uh, with that. Um, so I'm going to speak this morning uh, just for a little while and um, you'll be, um, this is kind of like, you know, um, preaching unplugged today because there's no PowerPoint. <gasps> Imagine. So so no royalties to Microsoft today for once. <laughs> so um, look, if you've got a Bible, um, grab it and uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 32. If you haven't got a Bible, um, that's cool. Uh, that's, that's okay. Um, if you can have Bibles when we talk here, that's always good. Because actually, the only thing you can be sure of is the stuff that's in the Bible is true. Pretty much everybody who talks about it uh, is is sharing, and we hope to share what's right. But actually, the judge, the, the the way you weigh whether it's right is does it line up with what the author said in the book? So, uh, so always put the book above the speaker is a, a good principle, uh, and certainly that's true for me because uh, uh, I certainly don't know it all. So anyway, uh, let's uh, read from Mark ten verse thirty two. They were up on their w- they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man would be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. We want you to do whatever for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm, I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Now when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bar Timaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. 
what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That's our passage for today. So our question, you will have heard it twice in that passage, is the question of Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is one of those amazing passages where where Mark kind of weaves two stories together that are actually connected. And that the fact that it's the same question in both both things that happen is, is, is not an accident. It's kind of drawing this together. We start off and they're on the road together. It says, uh, Jesus is leading. The disciples are astonished. And the crowd, those who followed, they're afraid. So there are these three groups and they're on the road, on the road to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Well, if you remember a few weeks back, we looked at what was the absolute pivotal moment in this whole book of Mark, right in the very center. That sense of the crescendo of the whole thing was when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and that sense that Jesus is, is the chosen one, the promised Messiah, is the pivot of the book. And from there, it's like we're going right up this summit to work out who is this guy? You know, demons obey him. Uh, the wind obeys him. Uh, uh, sickness bows to him. Uh, the crowd's part of him. You know, he overcomes those who, who, who kind of have, have, have trick questions for him. All the things thrown at him. And then we get to that pivot where he says, and who do you say I am? Peter gets that revelation. This is who you are. And, um, and from there on, we go, that's the pivot point. And then we're heading with one thing in mind. Straight away, Jesus says, I tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And actually, the start of this passage is the third time he's told them. So he told them once, and then a bit more of a bit more stuff in Mark, and then he tells them again. And this is the third, three times in a row, really emphasis. That's the top emphasis in, in Hebrew thinking. You've got like good, better, best. It's kind of, you know, kind of the, 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 the Hebrew equivalent to that would be to say it three times. So it's like the third time he's kind of, I can't emphasize enough. I'm on this journey towards the cross. And... And, and that's where the story is set. So what happens? Well, of course, James and John, immediately after that third time of being telling him, they, they kind of take him to one side. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's always a bit of alarm bells ringing. When someone says, yeah, when you hear someone say, look, I want to ask you a question. I'd, I'd like you to do whatever it is I'm about to ask you. Just kind of let's get that clear. You're going to do it, aren't you, before I ask you what it is. I kind of, uh, kind of you know, a bit, bit fishy. In fact, Matthew's version of this passage has their mum getting them their mum to ask, and and you sort of feel like that they um, but 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 actually Mark's not going to let them hide behind their mum because actually you know it is what they wanted. They've got to own it. They've got to own it. Own up to it. So, um, and um, it, I guess it's like I sort of feel like why did they, you know? It's almost like they knew it was a bit audacious. Maybe it's a little bit distasteful, and the alarm bells ring because. Yeah, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that sounds like it could be pretty biblical. There's other passages that talk about whatever you ask for, believe you've received it, it'll be yours. That sounds pretty good. Um, but it does ring alarm bells to me because I guess the, the thing that it worries me is it sounds a bit like magic. It sounds a bit like I can employ this supernatural power of Jesus unconditionally for whatever my agenda is. So, so let's just establish that you're going to do it, Jesus, and then I'll tell you what it is. Hmm, that's, you know, doesn't sound great. Sounds a bit more like an incantation, really, rather than, rather than prayer. So 
I guess the first thing uh, to draw attention to is is Jesus responds to that, and you know it's, it doesn't sound like it's gonna it doesn't sound like it's gonna be a good situation, but he responds with the the question that reveals. This is a question that Jesus asks that really reveals something of of us and what's in our heart. He says, "What do you want me to do for you?" Now, your answer to that question, what do you want me to do for you, probably reveals quite a lot. It reveals a lot about what's important to us. It probably reveals quite a lot about how we think the world works and what having supernatural power on our side might, might, might do for that. So it reveals a lot about our understanding of the world, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of God. What do you want me to do for you? Well, I guess for James and John, their view of the world. Well, I mean, in one, in one sense, yeah, they actually had some amazing insight. They had an insight that Jesus would be coming in glory. And that's, that's not to be sniffed at. You know, and that there would be those who were on his right and on his left. But the lens with which they see that is a lens that is very common in our world, which is that you get power through position. If I can be above everybody else and I can be on your right and on your left, I don't want to be above you, Jesus. I like to be above the rest of them, if that's all right. I'm, you know, like to like to be in charge, and you know, they can, you know, whatever. I'll I'll have the power. So, you know, if I want to be secure, well, I'll secure my place ahead of other people. Um, a, a, a real competitive mindset, really. And um, so, so although they'd understood Jesus will come in glory, and there would be people on his right and left, despite Jesus saying for the third time. This thing I'm doing is laying down my life, being mocked, kicked, spit, spat on, and killed. Um, they haven't grasped. They've grasped that they're, they're, you've grasped something of the events, but not the why. Why is that going to happen? Jesus is laying down his life. And I guess also maybe without the self-awareness that suffering and sacrifice accompany the honour in Jesus's in glory so and they've got that bravado you know, can you he says you know can you drink the cup I'm about to drink Old Testament echoes of the cup of suffering the cup of God's wrath can you be immersed in what I'm about to be immersed in and they say yeah we can sure yeah you know um, so uh, thinking maybe it was like an interview question of course I've got to say I'm, I'm really good at it um, maybe and um and yet, they really don't get it, do they? But he says, you know, well, actually, you, you will do those things. But even though you'll do those things, it's not for me to say who's at my right and who's at my left. And then the, and so that's the first thing about the first question. It reveals a lot about those two. But it reveals a lot about the other disciples as well. Because, um, you know, well, what happens next? Well, their peers are all absolutely indignant at the power grab. How, who, are you, who are you to try and elevate yourself above me? The competitive tensions in that group are rising. And um, the, there's a phrase which I, I often, uh, a, a scripture from James, um, which, uh, which really um, uh, echoes this. Uh, James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And I have to say, as someone who's worked in the commercial world and in the public sector for a lot of years now, um, in, in small companies and big companies and in many settings, that is something that I can absolutely attest to be true, that where you have envy and selfish ambition, you have disorder and every evil practice. You have all kinds of stuff going on when those things are around. And um, 
I guess um, this also hits home for me at the moment because um, from a personal point of view, the health, health system in this country is being restructured and that brings a lot of job security. And I see it in people around me. I see it in some senior leaders uh, who've received redundancy notices. And I, and I see it myself as well, actually. You know, there's sort of a almost a desire to be seen that others would recognise my place to stand, you know. And, and what you can see is you can think, ah, oh, those people are good at reputation management. They're good at getting in the right meetings and saying the right things. They're doing really well. Ah, oh, maybe I'll be overlooked, you know. And I think, wow. Oh, have I learned nothing in all these years of following Jesus that I still have some of those insecurities, uh, you know, and, but at least, I, at least I can recognize it a bit more now, which maybe is progress. But that was an amazing uh, question to reveal that and how wrong they got it, how wrong they got it. In fact, um, great four words that Jesus said that totally capture the essence of holiness and how we need to be different as the people of God. It says, not so with you yes it's like that in the wider world yes people who are rulers lord it over people exercise authority over them uh in that kind of in that kind of uh domineering way all those kind of things yes there's power that there there's there's power dynamics in that but you know what not so with you has to be completely the opposite and now that makes sense because um you know, that rather than that, you know, yeah, we understand that whatever you ask for. But remember, John fourteen thirteen, Jesus said, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son will bring glory to the father. We have to ask in his name, his way, his way. And only that way will the son bring glory to the father. James 4, uh, again, slightly earlier in that chapter, verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? God opposes the proud. Uh, sorry, slightly later in that, a couple of verses later. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And so if my, if my wh- you know, what do you want me to do for you? If, if it's about me and it's about elevating me above others, uh, and it's about seeking power, and it's about spending it on my selfish pleasures. It's about you know, what's in it for me, you know, over others. Then um, that's not the kind of asking that's in Jesus' name. So uh, it was good that he asked them, "What do you want me to do for you?" But it was very revealing, wasn't it? So, so that was interesting. I thought. <laughs> Because uh, you know, rather than lording it over, he said, we've got, you know, God's people, our, our example is the one who is the slave and the servant of all. And then he reveals an amazing truth. The son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John could not be more wrong. As Tim Keller puts it, the heart of the gospel is the cross. And the cross is all about giving up power. The heart of the gospel is the cross and the cross is all about giving up power. And a community that's built around giving up power 
rather than taking power is an amazing thing. One of my heroes is, a, I think I've mentioned this before, a guy called Floyd McClung. He and his wife went and moved to the red light district in Amsterdam as a young married couple with a young child living between a Satanist church and a brothel. They were in the middle and they established a little uh, group of uh, believers, youth with a mission uh, based there. Well, one of the things, one of the reasons that he's my hero is that when they were talking to people on the streets, they'd be sharing the good news about Jesus and people go, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I believe that's true. Um, one of the things they'd say is, no problem, just come and live amongst us for a few days. Just spend a few days amongst us, and after a few days with us, think again, decide for yourself, when you've seen how we live, you know, is it true? That, that was a, quite a bold thing, actually, but that can only be said with a community that's, that's modelled so differently to the world. So, um, so that's pretty amazing. But then meanwhile, we go on to the second bit of the story. So on verse 46, if you see in the passage, just like the introduction of the first bit, it says, well, there's Jesus, there's the disciples, there's a crowd, and they're back on the road. And um, in doing that, they hear Timaeus' son calling out, absolutely nothing hesitant, more the boldness that comes from desperation, actually. Because Timaeus' son had nothing to lose because this was a society where to be blind meant you'd be a beggar. So this wasn't a society that would mean that if you have some impairment, you can still participate and live a full life. If you're blind, you're just going to be a beggar. So he was absolutely at the bottom of the pile and he had nothing to lose. What does he cry out? Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's getting Jesus' attention. Both cases. That both of, both of these things, they got, his, they got Jesus' attention. He says, stop, come to me. Again, the same question. What do you want me to do for you? What's his answer? Rabbi, I want to see. Now, the interesting thing is, that was still something that was about himself, right? So it wasn't with James and John like, well, you can't ask for anything that's to do with yourself. You just have to think about other people all the time. I mean, we do think about other people a lot but um but it wasn't it clearly wasn't a, a, that wasn't a, an issue but what Timaeus asked for was something that would elevate him from the lowest position and give him once again power over his own life and agency so it's not being among my peers and trying to be above them this is someone who's actually been placed through the way society responds to the challenges he has in his life, right at the very bottom. And he's saying, can you just help me? Can you help me get back up? And I know you can do it. And he said, oh, can you have mercy on me? So that restoration of those who brought low is so different to seeking privilege to rule over people, isn't it? And I guess that's why the second asking of the question and the second answer to the question what do you want me to do for you is so different because the first one is about privilege and power and position but this one really just keys into the very purpose of why Jesus came this isn't I want Jesus power for my agenda unconditionally this is mercy based on Jesus the son of David that's a really interesting title I think that he uses it's the same David who took Mephibosheth, who was again another disabled guy, who actually was a scarred and broken man with, with, with severe dif disabilities. And David elevated him to sit at the king's table. 
have mercy as the son of David, is an appeal to character. He, he's, a, he's calling out Jesus, son of David. There's a bit about. And, and so for me, that is the difference between magic and miracle. Right there, that's the difference. Um, it's asking for things that fit with the character and nature of God. Your kingdom come, you might say. So, and this is really helpful for us because it's like, so well, what, what really is prayer then? Prayer, is not, prayer isn't magic, but what is it? Well, prayer is holding his character to the circumstance. Again, another quote from Tim Keller, who uh, I, I so love the way he puts things. He puts it like this. He says, I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love, not Jesus' love by my circumstances. I'm going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love, not Jesus' love by my circumstances. So it makes absolute sense then that um, Timaeus' son is asking in Jesus' name. He isn't asking with wrong motives to spend on his selfish pleasures. And so, of course, Jesus is delighted to respond to his, the, the, what, his, what he says in response to Jesus' question of what do you want me to do for you? I think it's interesting we're never told the disciples' response to Jesus' rebuke, although obviously they keep going. But we are told in this passage that Timaeus' son, who can now see perfectly clearly, chooses to follow Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. And he joins that journey that we've, we've talked about. So he moves from just being one of the crowd to being a follower. And he's on the, he's on the road as well. So, what do you want me to do for you? What's the challenge then for you, us, you and me? Well, I guess a couple of things. Firstly, um, do we see our worth from position relative to others or from God's purpose? Are we uniting together for the mission to be the servant and to lay down our lives or are we thinking about where we fit in terms of a pecking order? Or whether others are better than us or we're better than them or feeling inferior to people. And um, there can be times in life where um, you know, God engineers the circumstances in such ways that, you know, uses the circumstances that really help to reveal us when we think we've got things just like my example with my work situation. Um, Bob Goff said this, he said, God uses insecurity in our lives to model, remodel our hearts. Don't waste your time looking for a way out of the difficulty you're in. Look for him in the midst of it. God uses insecurity in our lives to remodel our hearts. So do we see our worth then from position relative to others? Second, also challenging question. Am I trying to co-op Jesus to my agenda? Or am I being free to participate in his agenda. What's going on in our lives? And thirdly, I guess, uh, or finally, it, you know, if you're in the place of privilege, then it's time to lay down rivalry for the greater purpose of seeking and saving and serving the lost. So let's not put our energy into face-to-face -face group dynamics, but let's invest it in shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder 
working together to bring the kingdom to a world that's in need. So I feel like James and John, you know, they got Jesus' attention, but they feel like they wasted, they wasted the opportunity. They wasted the moment with a pointless diversion because they still had this world's way of thinking. So let's not waste the moment. Now you have Jesus' attention. What do you want me to do for you? He says. Matthew's just going to come up with the um, the band. Just thought we would um, finish uh, today just by, um, he's going to play for a bit. And I wonder whether, I'm not sure how that lands with you, how that connects with you, but um, I hope it does. And I hope that um, you can respond to that question, what do you want me to do for you a little bit today? Um, I want to read something o- over us as we as we maybe just reflect and uh, ask God to meet with us. So I'm just going to read, read a, um, something out from um, this is from Isaiah 58. I'm going to read that out over us. But um, as, ye, as, we, as we just wait then um, just maybe in the quiet ask the Lord just to meet with you he's here by his spirit today and um, be willing to respond to him there's always a chance uh, when we come together so if there's something that you need prayer for then as we meet as, at the end of the meeting today do um, you know if you want to grab somebody who you trust and say hey look I'd really love you to pray for me that's great um, but what we want to do right now isn't that it's actually you and the Lord. It's just some time for you and the Lord. So go ahead, guys. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and athers? Is what you call a fast a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then... Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine, will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwellings 
And if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way, not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Lord, as we come before you now, we want to acknowledge your greater purpose in Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the, the restoration of, of all that was broken and marred and damaged when we turned our own way and went away from you as a world. Lord, we want to just draw near to you now. Would you meet with us?